As we kick off our Christmas season, I invite you to stand as we sing three very familiar and loved Christmas carols, and then I will seat you as the choir processes in from the back. Would you stand? Thank you. 
There's a call to worship that will lead us into today's celebration of the first Sunday of Advent. And I invite you to read where it says people. I will read the leader part. Today we come together to prepare for the birthday of a king. Today we make ready our welcome for God's only Son, Jesus of Nazareth. We begin this special and holy season of Advent the season of going toward the birth of Christ. As we renew the special meaning of the Advent season, the season of going toward new hope and eternal life, let us clear our minds and open our hearts to the coming of the Lord. Let us also honor his birth by adorning our church for the coming of our King. Let our songs and our symbols represent our personal rededication to the glory of God and the manifestation of his love through his Son, Jesus Christ. For, For God, God so loved, loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have today to celebrate the first Sunday of Advent, in addition to the hanging of greens. All symbolism focused upon the real coming of Jesus Christ, the Christ child, some 2,000 years ago. And Father, as we come this morning, we, we come to celebrate. We come to lift our voices in songs of praise, striving like the angels, glory to God in the highest. And Father, we also look forward to and anticipate the second advent, his coming again. Father, I pray that this Christmas season, that our focus will not be just on the Christmas of the first coming of Christ, but Father, the entirety of his mission, and that we will celebrate around the world the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who gives us hope. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church, and thank you so much for being here today. If you're a guest for the first time, we'd love for you to take that card in the pew in front of you and fill it out its entirety. And when you leave, drop it in one of the offering boxes. We would certainly appreciate that so we could acknowledge your being with us. And please be mindful and listen as we focus upon the various symbols of Christmas. The bright blood red poinsettia has become the most popular of all Christmas flowers. The star of the leaf is said to represent the star which stood over the Christ child. The red flower stands for the blood of the male infants that King Herod had slain. The red flower also represents the shed blood of Christ who came to be our savior. 
We call this service today the hanging of the green <clears throat> because traditionally evergreens have been used to emphasize the nativity. Green represents renewal, new life, freshness, and rebirth. Plants such as pine, fir, holly, ivy, and mistletoe are called evergreens because they do not die, but throughout the season of the year they remain evergreen. It is no wonder that we decorate our sanctuary and our homes with evergreens during this Advent season. It reminds us of the life that was and is evergreen, ever alive.
the wreaths that you see here that are hung on the walls of our sanctuary also have symbolic significance. Their endless circle reminds us of the endless love of God. And their color, which is forever green, reminds us that new life that God gives to us will never die. Would you stand as we sing another familiar loved carol? It came upon the midnight clear.
This morning we join with millions of Christians around the world in celebration of this first Sunday in Advent. This observance, which occurs during the four Sundays prior to Christmas, has been a part of the church's Christmas tradition for centuries, dating back to the fifth or sixth century. The word Advent literally means coming and refers to the birth of our Lord on Christmas Day in Bethlehem. Traditionally, the Advent season has been a time of preparing, anticipating, and celebrating God's Son coming into our world. Additionally, this season reminds us that as Christ once came, he will come again. As there was a first Advent, there will be a second Advent as well. Consequently, this season can be a means of reminding us not only of the past and what we've received as a result of that, but what we can anticipate in the future and the preparation we need to make for that. The Advent wreath and the candles are symbols that we use to aid us in this observance. The circle of the wreath with no beginning, no end, represents eternity and the never-ending love of God for us. The four candles, one of which we will light during each of the four Sundays, represent the four qualities of hope, peace, joy, and love, all associated with Christ and his coming. The white candle in the center is the Christ candle, which we will light on Christmas Eve. Today, we light the Christmas, the candle representing hope. The purple color represents the royalty of Christ as king. We only have hope because God keeps his promises. Through many years, the prophets of Israel kept alive the hope and the expectation of a savior. Finally, that hope was realized and brought forth in the person of Jesus Christ. Hear the promise as cited by Paul in the letter to the Romans. And again, Isaiah said, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
coming to light the candle of hope are Forrest and Jean Goff. May this hope sustain and strengthen each of us as we live these days. scripture readings for today are from the book of Jeremiah. Please follow along either in your Bible or on the screen. Jeremiah 32 verse 8. So Hananiel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said unto me, By my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. And then verses 42 through 44. This is what the Lord says. As I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. Once more, fields will be bought in this land of which you say, it is a desolate waste without people or animals, for it has been given into the hands of the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver, and deeds will be signed, sealed, and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, and in the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills, and of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. We are blessed today by the reading of these verses, for these are the words of the Lord.
This morning we focus our attention on the first advent, hope. The message, a future and a hope with God. It kind of, seems kind of a strange time to look at the book of Jeremiah when you look at the Christmas season. But the fact is that when you look at hope, you find hope throughout Scripture. God continuing in some of the most darkest times of life to provide that encouragement, that, that glimmer that provides hope that tomorrow is going to be a better day. When we look at Jeremiah, we, we come to this place where we find Jeremiah and his message through the entire book to be a message of judgment on Judah. And why? Because of their rampant idolatry. I don't know how Jeremiah did it to spend all of his writings and all of his life focusing upon the calamity that is coming, the destruction that is coming, the judgment that is coming, and nobody wanted to hear it. After the, king, uh, the death of King of Josiah, the last righteous king in Israel, the nation Judah had almost completely abandoned God and his commandments. In fact, Jeremiah compares Judah to a prostitute. God promised that he would judge idolatry most severely. And Jeremiah was warning the people of God that their judgment was at hand. God had delivered uh, Judah from destruction countless times in their history. But his mercy was at its end. In fact, Jeremiah describes King Nebuchadnezzar conquering Judah and making Judah subject to him in Jeremiah 24. For 10 years, as a King the Israelites continued to rebel against the Babylonians they continued even when they let them try to rule themselves to disobey it was just in their nature and so after the further rebellion God brought Nebuchadnezzar back and the Babylonian armies came and they were there to destroy and to desolate both Judah and Jerusalem. Even in this most severe judgment, even in this darkest of times, God promised restoration of Judah back into the land that God had given them. And this is our message of hope today. It's God's promise. You see, no matter how dark times get and how far away we might drift as the people of God from God, he always has this promise. Believers can believe in dark times that there is a future and there is a hope with God. In apparently a hopeless circumstance, Jeremiah affirmed both a future 
and a hope with God, and he shows us the very same things. You see, he leaves us a path for us to walk, a, a faith for us to embrace. In this passage, we have three things, lessons that I believe help us even in the dark times that we live in, that God still has a way. First, I think he tells us that we must look realistically at the future. Christians should never be dark pessimists, nor should we be Pollyanna optimists. What we really should be are believing realists. The text gives great detail to show the hopelessness of things in 587 B.C. In Jeremiah 32, verses 22 through 24, the scripture says, You gave them this land you had sworn to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you had commanded them to do, so you brought all this disaster on them. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened as you now see. This is Jeremiah speaking to God. God had had enough. <clears throat> now, the fact is that yes, they, as the Israelites, they could have stuck their head in the sand. And they probably did. Because you know, it didn't matter what sector you looked in in Judah. It was bankrupt. It was bad. In its religion, financially, internationally, nationally, and personally, it was a complete disaster. And so this was the end. And Jeremiah knew it. The city was going to fall. The temple was going to be destroyed. Many people would die. Many others would be taken into exile and become war refugees. <coughs> they would see their land being taken over by a foreign empire. And it appears hopeless. And in the short term, it is hopeless. There may be some of us this morning who can identify with Jeremiah. Our siege may be different. It may be the breakdown of our health. It could be the loss of a loved one or a friend. It could be a financial crisis that we don't know how to deal with. It could be a betrayal of a friend, or it could be a, a son or daughter who has disappointed or just rejected us. Or maybe it's our own faith that is fraying, but we feel under siege. Life has begun to feel constricted. The walls are closing in, and what we need, we need fresh breath, air, breathing room. But now wait, you know, we might be confused, because we're, if we're good people, which we are, then surely God would deliver us from, as the Bible says, the snare of the hunter, or God will cover us with his wings. God won't let fear of the terror by night or arrow by day take us, all metaphorical language. But what we know is what it means. God protects good people like you and me from disaster. 
That's what we, many of us, believe. And so when difficulties come and when disasters happen, we're confused. But I'm your child. But you see, no one is immune. Not Jeremiah, who was a righteous prophet. Not us, who are moral. Not even the sinless Jesus Christ, our Savior, who was nailed to the cross, tortured. In our siege, Jeremiah teaches us that as a confident believer, that we do not hope because the believer shuts their eyes to the things as they really are. They don't stick their head in the sand. They are a realist, but they're confident in God. Secondly, he teaches us that we must confidently expect hope and a hopeful future. In dark days, Jeremiah had the sense that God was speaking to him. He, he had this sense that God had something hopeful on the horizon. And so he listened for a word of hope from God. And, and that word came during just an everyday experience in the guard courtyard where he was confined to. And God spoke to him. In verses 8 and 9, it says, Then, just as the Lord had said, My cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, By my field at Anathoth, in the ter territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth, and my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. He listened to God because he sensed God had something hopeful even in the dark times of the Babylonian army besieging the city of Jerusalem. And God spoke to him what would happen. And in real time, in real life, his cousin came and said, I've got this land. I want to sell you this land. It's your, yours to get, so why don't you take it? It's interesting because that real estate was only three miles north of Jerusalem. And since that land was now occupied by the Babylonian army, ready to take Jerusalem, and Judah was about to fall to the Babylonians, the land would be absolutely useless to his cousin, Hanamel. And so why not try to get some money for it? And that's what he did. Now, why would Jeremiah, why would he buy this thing, this land? It's just crazy. The land's occupied by the enemy. The city's going to fall. You know it. It's not going to be a good investment. Why would he do such a thing? Let me tell you something. Jeremiah not only bought the land 
the Babylonians were on. But he also goes through the process of having the deed signed, two copies with witnesses, both put in containers that would be safe to tell future generations what he had done. Now why did he do that? Why would he do such a crazy thing? It seemed like a bad investment. But the reality is that it was a radical act of hope in the midst of what looked like a hopeless situation. When everything looked like it was going down the tubes, Jeremiah said, you know what? Even though Jerusalem and Judah is going to be taken over, I'm going to buy that land. People would think it's crazy. But no. You see, it was a radical act of hope in the most darkest of times. Here, we see that it's staking a claim on a future that looked closed off. What Jeremiah was doing was affirming that God was not done with his people and not done in this world. It said to the people of Judah, listen, we might be on the verge of being taken captive or die, but, but God still has a plan for this land and these people. And there is a future. And there is a hope. So here we learn how to express hope from Jeremiah. As believers, we must express hope in a tangible, sacrificial way. It should be something that's obvious or memorable to others. We're not showing off. What we're doing is we're saying, even in these dark times, God is with us. Even in the personal struggles I'm going through, I want you to know that my faith is in God, my hope is in God, so here are the steps that I'm going to take. We need to express our hope looking realistically of what's happening that God is going to see us through because that's what he promises. This third le lesson in this passage of Jeremiah, we find that God confirms our blessed future. Look at things realistically as a believer with the hope that God is going to see us through. He's going to guide us with his hand. He promises that. Here we find that Jeremiah's hope was well-founded. In verses 36, the latter part in verse 37 of Jeremiah 32, it says, but, but this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. And I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. Because of their disobedience, God said, you're going to go in exile. Some of you are going to die. But in the larger plan, God has a plan for his people. He says, I, I'm going to bring you back. Seventy years after his words of hope, in the midst of hopelessness, 
the people came back to the city, came back to Judah. You might say, well, that didn't help the people that were living at that time. Well, they'd made their choices. But the fact is that, that the Israelites, generations mattered. Children's futures mattered. And God promised, I will bring them back. There is hope. God had his purposes. In verses 38 through 41, he says, They will be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them singleness of heart and action, so that they will always fear me, and, then, and that they will then go well for things will go well for them for they are their children after them and i will make an everlasting covenant with them and i will never stop doing good to them and i will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me i will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. God's purpose for the people of Israel had not changed. Back when he promised Abraham the land flowing with milk and honey and called him, the people of Israel, to be his people, a holy priesthood, even though they would sin and depart from him and not obey him, and the punishment, the discipline would come, God didn't change. And even in this time period of Jeremiah, when things were the darkest and they knew that things were going to go very poorly for them, God said, I am not done with my people. I will give them a singleness of heart and action. Things will go well for them, and things will go well for their children. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And we celebrate that everlasting covenant through Christ this morning. And I will never stop doing good for them, and I will inspire them to fear me. And that word fear has the idea of awe. The idea is he doesn't, doesn't push them, he inspires them to be awe of the Almighty God. And he says, I will plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. And so 70 years later, we find that the walls of the temple and the homes are rebuilt. And Israel is back focused. Israel's back in the land flowing with milk and honey ready to accomplish what God wants. Where there was hopelessness, God gave them hope. And then he confirmed it by bringing them back. So my question to you this morning is this. What is the plot of land that God is prompting you to purchase? What action is God asking of you that would be an investment into the future? That would be a, a signpost of hope to a world of corruption and despair. 
What is it that you can do? What is God saying to you? How can you express that hope to a world that's darkened? That you have that hope no matter how difficult it is. Because friends, we live in a, a time of great upheaval. This is a world of political corruption, devastating war, senseless crime. We live in a world in which millions of refugees flee their homes trying to find a safe place to live and where believers are persecuted in many places around the world because of their faith. And you yourself might be under siege. I promise the Babylonian armies of our day may be encamped all around you. You may be feeling restricted. But precisely in this time of crisis, God gives Jeremiah the word of hope that we have to take to heart as well. Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. There is hope. We're going to get through this. He said in verses 42 and 44, As I have bought brought all this great calamity on his people so I will give them all prosperity I have promised them I will restore their fortunes he says listen even though I'm bringing this discipline it's not forever I want you to know that there is hope out there that no matter what you're going through what seeds you might be going through or what you've done or whatever it is he promises he gives us hope that we can trust him. Maltby Davenport Babcock wrote the hymn, This Is My Father's World, in 1901. And the lyrics provide hope. And let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is still ruler yet. These words, like the words of the Lord to Jeremiah, give us hope. But listen, if that hope is not acted on, it soon fades and then it dies. Hope needs to be lived out. There needs to be a, a concrete action with our hope. God took concrete action many years ago, and that's why we celebrate this first Sunday of Advent because of the coming of Christ. Concrete. Our hope is well founded in that child, the Son of God, who was born on that dark, starry night in that stable some 2,000 years ago. And friends, our hope is well grounded on the open and empty tomb of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to provide hope and salvation to all who would call upon his name. So what is your concrete action? How will you express your hope? In your time of personal crises, in your darkest of time, personally, or as you navigate through the difficulties of this world, how are you going to let the world know that God is still ruler yet in your life? Father, as we move into our time of invitation, I ask you, as you have spoken to us, that we've listened.
And that, Father, we would come to this understanding that, that even in the most difficult, darkest times when it seems like defeat is right on the horizon, that we can still have hope. And even though we have to go through dark times in the valley of shadows, heartache, and pain, that you're going to bring us on the other side because you walk with us through it. You promise. You give us hope for tomorrow. And I pray today that each one of us would embrace that hope whether it's the hope in salvation through Jesus Christ alone or it's a rededication in our life or if it's a commitment today which is the most important that we not only hear and listen but that we respond to what you have said to us and today a challenge of revealing our hope to others and help us to commit to do that in Jesus' name we pray Amen Please stand and let's sing our invitation hymn. Remember, hope, this whole service, God's precious hope. In the both lobbies, there are four sign-up sheets. <clears throat> the first one for this coming Thursday, which will be the December movie. You'll see on the back of the bulletin the title of those movies, The Very First Noel and Christmas Jars. If you are planning to come for lunch, we need you to sign up today so that we will have food for you. The cost is $5 for lunch. The movie is free. Movie popcorn, Christmas treats, you'll not want to miss that. Then next week on Tuesday at 8 o'clock is the Men's Fellowship Breakfast. 
the guest speaker, Dr. David Johnson, on Wednesday of next week, the 7th at 4 p.m., Partners on Mission Potluck. We need you to sign up and to indicate what dish you will be bringing for that. And you'll see that our guest speaker is Derek Drummond, who's lead pastor for one of the new church plants that we will be helping to sponsor in the coming year. And then last, Single Only Sisters, which will be on the afternoon of Thursday, December 8th at 2 o'clock. I hope that you will take advantage of those and make sure that you sign up. I'm going to ask Bill Swinney, who is the chairperson of our Deacon Council, to come for a presentation. As deacon chair, we, we work together as a body to serve our church. But one of the coolest things that I have to do, or get to do, is to introduce each year, uh, each year that I'm deacon chair, uh, the Energizer Bunny Award. <laughs> For you that may not know, Virginia Oaf, as you recall, she was a tiny ball of energy, as you remember. Always involved in whatever project or class or event was going on in the First Baptist Church here. She ministered continuously to her church and as a result was, referring, was referred to as going and going and going and going. <laughs> After she passed, which coincidentally was 10 years ago this month, the Deacon Council decided to honor her service by creating the Energizer Bunny Award. Criteria for being chosen based on those being a good and faithful servant. A faithful servant points to God and not themselves, unceasingly strengthens and encourages, works with commitment to be a godly leader, and gives all to the glory of God. We've had several recipients of this, the Schraders and Phyllis and Bill Carter and Temple Donaldson and in 2015, uh, Sue Reamer in 16, Pat Sentner in 17, Jenny Denton in 18, Jim Crump in 19, Mike Brandenburg in 20, and Phil McKenna in 21. All have illustrated the characteristics of Paul and Barnabas as good and faithful servants. This year's award recipient exhibits all of the characteristics of a good and faithful servant. This person has been involved in committees, events, groups, activities, classes, councils, and has supported virtually every aspect and happening of our church, being determined that all we do, we honor God. Virginia Oath would have been very proud of this year's choice. Knowing this person's continuously joyous spirit and never-ending energy contributed to the positive countenance of our church, just like hers did. It is my honor to award the 2022 Energizer Bunny Award to Lynn Bailey. <laughs> as, as she's coming, 
Uh, the she is such a faithful servant to our church and uh, humble and always modest and always serving and honoring God. So, Lynn, I have for you several things. It's not in Astro's Orange. But this is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> we also have, as that hangs out in the foyer, uh, plaque that says the Virginia, Virginia Oak Energizer Bunny Award, and we have already in, to repose Lynn Bailey of 2022. Okay, so I also have a certificate that says FBC SCW Energizer Bunny Award. This certificate is awarded to Lynn Bailey in recognition of your service to our, our church and our Lord, assigned by our pastor. So. I have a letter to Lynn from our pastor. I'll just read it for you. Dear Lynn and church family, each year the deacons of First Baptist Church, Sun City West, have the honor and privilege of presenting the Energizer Bunny Award to a person who exhibits a servant's attitude as they faithfully accomplish the work of the ministry in and through the church. This special person represents so many in the body of Christ who are obedient to God's calling to be about his business. Lynn has a true servant's heart. She is willing to help in any situation, meet any need, and does not shy away from challenges in meeting the needs of, church, of people and her church. Lynn came to the First Baptist Church by way of the Latte Group in Grand Community, which Dr. Stan Nelson started and facilitated for many years. She quickly became the president of the class, now known as Explorers Class. Additionally, since coming to First Baptist Church, Lynn has served in many other capacities. She has served as president of the Sanctuary Choir for several years, which has been an indispensable support for our minister of, of worship, Nancy Jakes. She has also spent three years serving as advisor for the Visions team, using her project management skills acquiring during her career to help establish action plans organization for our church through Vision 2025. Lynn also serves on the personnel team and, and uses these same project management skills to help bring more efficiency to our office. In January of 2018, I was contacted by the pastor search team of First Baptist Church in City West about the possibility of becoming their next senior pastor. The team was devoted to prayer, had a heart for outreach and evangelism and was sincerely seeking the will of God for the next season of pastoral leadership. It was evident to me that this team was organized, thoughtful and prayerful in their months of preparation and search. Lynn was an integral part of that outstanding team. Lynn is a behind the scenes and out of the spotlight person. I've been touched by the way she quietly ministers compassionately and continually to four or five single ladies within our church meeting their needs. It is with compassion, love, and conviction that she invests and touches those who have been through very difficult times. Clearly, she has a heart for ministry, not a position. Then is a godly woman that helps to make this church great by accomplishing ministry without fanfare or the spotlight. She is an individual who truly puts feet to her faith. It has been my privilege to spend some time with Lynn in numerous capacities the last four and a half years. 
I have observed her passion for God's kingdom, her commitment to First Baptist Sun City West, and her love and compassion, compassionate care for people. I've also seen firsthand her humility, integrity, and expertise. I had the highest respect for Lynn Bailey. Signed, Dr. Kirby Kennedy, Senior Pastor. Congratulations to you, Lynn, and my thanks. Would you stand as we have our closing prayer? Ralph Hayes, who is our deacon, is going to come and lead us in that prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting us here today and for delivering your word through our pastor. May each soul in this place have been touched through the songs and the preaching. We pray that those seeking an answer received it. Those needing a special touch were granted that touch. Bless each one here today and keep us safe until we're able to meet together again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen.